if you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. I want to kind of pick up where we left off last week. Um, and I was kind of thinking about this as I was getting ready, and, and uh, I knew the direction the Lord would have me to go this morning, but, uh, you know, this time of year, and it's not just this time of year, Christmas, Easter, there are certain times of the year where, you know, same theme is kind of repeated and some of the same things are said, and, but that's all right. We need to be reminded, and so we take this time every year and we, and we uh, celebrate the birth of Christ uh, to date the greatest event in all of history. You know, I've always uh, mentioned this before. Look at the way that we date our years. Uh, you know, we have A.D. and B.C., right? B.C. literally stands for before Christ. A.D. is a Latin phrase that means in the year of our Lord. And so anyways, everything points uh, to this central point in history. Everything. I mean, we are literally counting the days since it happened. Uh, the greatest event the world has ever known is the incarnation of Christ, right? The incarnation of God, right? God manifests in the flesh, right? The coming of the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. Just as Tanya sung about a minute ago. And so to date, it's the greatest event in history. And we as a church put a lot of emphasis on Easter when we celebrate the resurrection. And that's good. We should, we do, uh, and, and we put our emphasis on the resurrection because we see in it our hope, right, that, the, that just as the grave did not hold Jesus, neither will the grave have any hold over us. It's been defeated. But you also got to understand and keep in mind that the resurrection, first of all, it's the f- first fruits of our resurrection that will happen one day. Not happened yet, but will happen. But the resurrection is actually only the confirmation that Christ, that Jesus, is who he claimed to be. It is the confirmation that he is God the Son, God manifest in the flesh, and that he died on Calvary's cross for our sins, that he was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and that his lifeblood was shed for the remission of sin. And the resurrection is the confirmation that that is who Jesus is and that God has accepted that sacrifice as one final sacrifice for all time for atonement of sin. And so here we are at this time of year we celebrate the birth of Christ. And so I want to take a little time and continue on with another aspect of what we think of and refer to as the Christmas story. So last week I, I, I preached about uh, obedience and, and Joseph and you know how things were from his point of view. I think I pointed out to you last week that if, uh, in the book of Luke we get this per- perspective from Mary and in the book of Matthew we get the perspective of Joseph, and it's it's like two eyes, and looking through both of them, uh, you see a much clearer and fuller picture. So let's look here at Matthew chapter two, and let's begin at verse one and read this first section of scripture. 
It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people uh, together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently that at what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when he, excuse me, and when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you one more time this morning, thanking you for the good day and for the many blessings. Thanking you, Lord, for this church and our church family and each one who's gathered together here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that you poured out on us, Lord, just the ability to be here. Every breath, breath that we draw, it's a gift from you. We thank you, Lord, for the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have to openly gather here without any kind of fear of persecution or retribution of any sort. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, that freedom. We know that it costs many dearly. And so we thank you for all those who fought, bled, sacrificed, and died so that we could have that freedom. But we know ultimately that freedom is a gift from you. So we give you all the praise and all the glory. But we thank you most of all this morning for your son, Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him in giving so that we might have life, truly have life. That we might have it abundantly, that we might have it eternally. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning, Lord, that each one of us would turn our focus solely to you for just the next little bit here this morning. We focus on you and your word. And Lord, that we would strive to be sensitive to your spirit here this morning and what you would say to us by your spirit. And God, we just pray, Lord, that you would just have your way and your will, uh, not only in this service here this morning, though we do desire that very much, but we desire even more 
for you to have your way and your will in the hearts and minds of each one that is here this morning. So God, my prayer this morning is each one of us would be receptive, that we would desire to hear from you, and we would be receptive of your word when we do hear from you. In other words, we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word. And so, Lord, my prayer is if there's any here this morning that's not right with you, any that's not living for you, any that have maybe just backslidden or fallen away or not where they ought to be or maybe they've never known you, oh, God, let today be the day that that changes. Let today be the day of salvation for them. Let today be the day that they have their encounter with you. So, Lord, I'm just praying, have your way and your will. We love you. We worship you. God, I need your help this morning. Lord, anoint me from on high. Give me the words you'd have me to preach. Preach me one more time here this morning because I know I can't do it without you. I got nothing to say lest you give it to me. So have your way. God, we love you and we worship you and we praise your holy name. We ask it all this morning in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I think embedded in this story... I mean the story of the wise men, right? We have these wise men from the east that come to, to worship uh, this small child, this one born in their own words, king of the Jews. And I, I, I think it's interesting. I, I think in the more that I study this, the more that it just, it just blows me away, uh, the message that Matthew is, is, is presenting here from the beginning of the book of Matthew to the end of the book of Matthew. And ultimately, he is presenting that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Uh, and so anyways, I just find it interesting here, very early on, right? We have, right, these, uh, some believe that they're kings. We sung the song this morning, We Three Kings of Orient, right? And, and, and maybe they are, uh, maybe maybe that's not what is meant by wise men. Some think it means astrologers. Some think that it's some sort of uh, of religious sect or, or priesthood or whatever that was left in Babylonia from the time of Daniel. Uh, you know, we don't, we're not given those details. We can just speculate, right? It's exactly what is meant here. The scripture just says wise men. And we can tell from this that they were, had power, they had influence, they had wealth. Uh, but we just don't have any great details about them. But I think it's interesting uh, to see this, that, we, that they are probably, for all that we know, we're led to believe anyways they're Gentiles. And we see that, the reoccurring theme throughout Matthew. Here it is, it's, it's a gospel written, written to the Jews proclaiming your long-awaited king is here, the king of kings and lord of lords. But yet we see repeatedly over and over the Jews and the Jewish leaders and the Jewish uh, uh, religious folks rejecting him, right? We see, we see here uh, that Herod, right, the king at this time, calls on uh, the religious leaders, the, 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 the scribes and the, and the chief priests, right, to, to interpret this, to tell him what it is that these wise men are talking about. In other words, where is this foretold a Messiah. This Christ is to be born. He calls on them. I find it interesting that these men come to the king of, uh, of Israel, of Judea, of Palestine, that is what the Romans called it in that time, that he comes to them, right? Uh, comes to the king looking for the one 
foreign king of the Jews, right? I think Matthew is presenting a picture here. We have a true king and we have an imposter, right? Herod is not even a Jew. He's an Idumean, right? He's a descendant of Esau. And so anyways, I think it's interesting that he presents that. And ultimately, he is presenting here Christ, the true king, and these gifts that are fit for a king. And so I think embedded in this story of the wise men, I think there's a wonderful, I don't know if principle is the right word to use here, or truth, that every believer should know. And I'm going to try to get at that here this morning. So our text reveals to us that the wise men came to Jerusalem. All right? Notice that there's no reference to how many there were. You can search the Bible over and you will not find the number anywhere. I mentioned we sung the song this morning, right? Uh, we sang We Three Kings of Orient, right? Uh, whenever we see a major scene, that's usually three of, uh, of these wise men that are present there. But the truth is, we don't know for a certainty. There may have been three. There may have been, there may have been five. They may have been ten. They may have been twenty. Or they may have just been three. We don't know that. The scripture doesn't tell us. I think we assume that there's three because there's three gifts that were mentioned, that were presented. But really, ultimately, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there were three or if there were four or if there were ten or whatever. Now, I want to point out something else to you. Second fact here that I think you need to see and understand. In verse 11, it says, let me just read it to you again. In verse 11, it says, And when they were come into the house. Now, no matter how you slice it, that word house, where I just stopped, that cannot be changed into the word of man, the word manger. You can't go back to the Greek, the original language, and pull that meaning out. There is no way you can arrive at the name, at the word manger. It is definitely house, a residence. So these wise men did not make it to the manger. We know from, uh, from the reading in Luke, right, that, that he was a babe wrapped in swallowing clothes, laid in a manger. Right? We know that's the story around the birth. But these wise men, there's no mention of a manger here, right? There's no mention of anything like that. There's the mention of a house. And so it's, it's traditional. It's a part of the nativity scene to have the shepherds and the wise men and, and everybody there at the, at the nativity scene at the same time. But the scripture doesn't actually lay it out that way. Now, I understand, I think I understand why we set up our manger, or our manger scenes, our nativity scenes, the way that we do. Because it represents all the pieces of the Christmas story. And it doesn't matter that there's a little bit of time that passes between the visiting of the shepherds and the visiting of the wise men. Right? The shepherds had a purpose. They were to be there, right? To be the first human messengers to herald uh, the coming of the, of the king, right? Uh, the Messiah, the Christ. And so that was, their timing is important. The wise men's timing is not quite as important. They didn't need to be there the first night if they did. God would have made sure they were there the first night. And we would have been reading about these three wise men showing up in the night at a manger. But we don't. We see them showing up a little bit later at a house. How much later? 
People speculate because of young child in two years that it's up to two years later. Maybe it is. Maybe it's one week later. We don't really know for sure, and it doesn't matter. All that matters is they showed up a little bit later. Now, the third thing, and this is the one I want to get at this morning, is I want to point out to you has to do with the star. Now, lots of questions are asked about this star. And I don't have answers to them, just to be honest with you. Um, there's one prophecy in the book of Numbers that mentions a star coming out of, uh, of, uh, uh, out of Bethlehem, out of Judea, out of Israel. Maybe that's the prophecy they spoke of. Maybe they had other prophecies. Daniel was a prophet, right? Maybe he left some other prophecies that's not recorded in Scripture. We really don't know much about this star. I, I, I have heard, I always, I spend my morning, I, I get up early on Sunday morning. Of course, I study and prepare and, and, and have ready to preach, unless the Lord does something different, but standardly, normally, I have ready to preach long before Sunday morning arrives here, but I always get up early Sunday morning and, and I sit down and I've got a cup of coffee and I go through and I study and and and, and anyways, and, and I kind of just, you know, I'm thinking I'm just refreshing myself and my mind and brushing up a little bit. And, but anyways, yeah, and as I was reading this morning, I actually read in a commentary, uh, and I'd heard this before, where they were trying to explain this star away naturally. Like maybe, you know, that there's a year close there where the planets Jupiter and Venus, that was the case they were making, where those lined up just right and it would have been, you know, it, it would have really stood out and people that stayed in the sky would have took notice and it would have been bright and so on and so forth. I, I get what they're saying and I get the desire to give it a natural explanation. But the problem is that doesn't completely jive with what the scripture says. Doesn't completely fit. I mean, if you just kind of glance at it real quick and don't think about the details and move on, you can be like, oh, yeah, 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 probably. I've seen, you know, I, Venus we see ever so often, and it's really bright, and, you know, maybe so on and so forth. But if you really study this, and I'm going to lay out a few things, you're going to see there's no way that could be right. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, I just left the cat out of the bag, and then we'll move on. You ready for this? There is no natural explanation for this. This is something that God did. One time, special occasion, most special occasion that's ever taken place in the history of, of the world, in the history of mankind. And when God... Right? The world that we see as it goes on right, uh, is a natural world. right? And we see certain laws that God has put in place and we see them you know, carry out and take place and that is the natural world and the natural order. By definition, when God intervenes in that natural order and does something which he has the power to do, he's omnipotent, Right? He's all-powerful. If he wasn't, then he's not God. 
That's a pretty simple one. You've got to get straight in your mind right from the very beginning. Is he God or not? If he is God, then what is there that God can't do? Well, there ain't nothing that God can't do, right? He's all-powerful. So he has the ability to intervene in the natural order of things. And we recognize and understand that God is the creator, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the universe, everything. God made it. That means it's his. That means he's got the right to do this. And by definition, when God intervenes in the natural order of things, that is a supernatural event. And this star is a supernatural event. And it behaved in a supernatural way. So let's, let, let's look at this for just a second here, okay? So we see that there is the star, all right? And, and I told you, I want you to notice in verse 2, right? Let's look at verse 2 for just a minute. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Notice the past tense of have seen. They didn't say the star that we are seeing. They didn't say we, we've been seeing this star and, and we see this star right now. They didn't pull Herod up and say, hey, look right over there, buddy. That star right there, that's the one we're talking about. They didn't say it in the present tense. They said it in the past tense. The star that we have seen. You see, see what's being implied here? They saw the star when they were in the east, when they were back home, the one they'd been watching for. They saw this star when their journey started. But somewhere along the way, they stopped seeing the star. And when they were here talking to Herod, they could not see the star. That's why it says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced. Right? So they started the journey. They could see the star. They head down, they head down the road. Somewhere between home and Jerusalem, they stopped seeing the star. And after they get to Jerusalem and talk to Herod, and I got the picture, I see them, right? It's nighttime and, or late in the evening, it's dark. And, and they've been in the palace and they've been talking to the Herod and, and, and to, the, uh, to the spiritual leaders of Jerusalem, right? To the chief priests and the, and the scribes and such. And then as they walk, after they get done leaving there, right? And, 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 and they've been pointing the direction to Bethlehem and all this and that. As they walk out there, they get back on their camels, getting ready to head to Bethlehem. Lo, there is the star. They see it again. That's why it says they rejoiced. Somewhere between where they started and Jerusalem, the star had stopped shining. Here's what I want you to get from this. star doesn't always shine. 
the star does not always shine. You might say, preacher, what do you mean by that? I mean, things ain't always great. Things ain't always peachy. It's not always a bed of roses. We ain't promised. So many people so often think, well, if they get saved, if if they just get saved, then all their problems go away. That is not true at all. Jesus never promised promised us that at all. And I promise you that once you get saved, there is still going to be trials and tribulations and and there'll be persecutions and there'll be all kinds of things, all right? And so anyways, we're not promised that it will always be easy. We're not promised that we'll have things handed to us on a silver platter, right? Sometimes it's tough, maybe even downright unbearable. There will be times when you feel like quitting. I mean, just look for a second at Noah, right? If we go back to Genesis uh, uh, chapter 5 and chapter 6, Right, we see about in seven and eight and nine. We see about we see the the story about Noah and the in the ark and the flood. And, and in Genesis chapter six and verse three, uh, it talks about. So before that, I've been talking about the wickedness of men and and, and, and the things that some of the things that had been ha- that had happened that was just especially bad. And then in verse 3, it says that the Spirit of God will not always strive with men. And then at the end of that, it says that he will, that he will only uh, uh, bear with them uh, 120 years. And, and so anyways, there's a couple different ways to look at that. Some people think that's the point where lifespans are, are shortened uh, to 120 years. Uh, that that's the maximum lifespan. Uh, but if you kind of look at the context, another good interpretation of that would be is that God give him 120 years until the flood was coming. Now, I say that because the question is, how long did it take to build that ark? I mean, there was a big boat. Nobody ever built anything like that before. Uh, So maybe it took 120 years, or he had 120 years to make it. Maybe that's not what that means. Maybe that is talking about the lifespan of man. Regardless, it took him quite a while to build that boat. Do you really think, let's pretend for a minute, go with me, let's say it was 120 years. Do you really think that during that 120 years that it was always easy? I mean, Noah is doing exactly what God had called him and told him to do. Do you think that it was always easy? Do you think that he was always happy, right, and full of joy? Do you realize that when you study that, that there is zero, no scriptural evidence whatsoever that Noah even heard anything from God during the entire time that he was building the ark. Think about it. God speaks to Noah and tells him to build the ark, and it's very possible he did not, the scripture doesn't tell us any different than this, that he did not hear from God again until it was time to get in the ark, which might have been 120 years later. And it's probably safe to say that Noah faced some opposition while he was building the ark. I would say there was people at the very least that made fun of him if they wasn't people that just plumb tried to stop him. Go on for a minute. Look at another example in the scripture. Look at King David. He was anointed to be king when he was still a young boy. Yet he doesn't become king until he's 30 years old. And in the meantime, he has to endure the reign of King Saul. 
where during this time, Saul becomes extremely jealous of David and is constantly trying to kill him. As a matter of fact, it gets so bad that David actually spends the last eight years before he becomes king, so from ages 22 to ages 30, on the run and hiding out because Saul is using the army of Israel, Israel's army, to try to hunt David down and kill him. What am I trying to say this morning? The star doesn't always shine. So, what should you do when the star doesn't shine? I think that's the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning. I think if we got real serious and candid, we could look at places in our life, probably a lot of places in our life, where the star is not shining. If we wanted to be just real honest, there's probably more days with the star not shining than there has been days when the star was shining. So what is it? What is it for somebody who's trying to live for God, who's trying to follow Christ, who's trying to do the will of God, who's just trying to live the life that honors God, that God would want them to do, what is it that we should do while the star is not shining? Well, I think the wise men teach us that. I know that this saying is a cliche and and plumb more out, but I'm going to say it anyways. What do we do when the star ain't shining? We just keep on keeping on. That's what we do. As a preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, I usually think of this as just keeping your head down and plodding along. Meaning, you're not paying attention to what other people are saying. You're just keeping on doing what you know God told you to do. That way, you're not affected by the rest of the world and the fiery darts of the enemy and everything that's being thrown at you. Listen, these wise men, they did not stop their journey just because they stopped seeing the star. These guys knew that this new king of the Jews was born in Israel. It would have been logical for them to head head on to Jerusalem once once they didn't see the star anymore. I mean, where else would the king of Israel be? They just kept their head down and kept on. Meaning, they didn't listen to those who might have been saying discouraging things or ill things. I mean, just think about it for a minute. It is possible that these three old boys, if they was three of them, or however many of them they was, that they loaded these gifts worth an extremely large amount of money onto a pack camel, I guess, and on their own headed off across the desert full of thieves and robbers and what's that word they use for them, marauders or whatever, however you say that, right? It's possible that that's how it went. I think it's more likely men like this of this importance and this caliber and of of this kind of wealth, I would say they was a whole entourage. 
I would say when they showed up, it looked about like if the President of the United States showed up in Mountain Grove, Missouri. Do you understand? I think that's probably why uh, whenever it says Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem was troubled too because everybody had seen this group showed up and word's going around already and they know what kind of psychopath that Herod is. They know that he'd already killed one of his wives and, and her brothers and that he'd killed some of his own children because he thought that they were going to try to take his power away from him, his throne away from him. I mean, goodness, Caesar said that he'd rather be Herod's dog uh, than, his, uh, than his wife. And so anyways, I mean, he was ruthless. He was a psychopath. There's no way around this thing. I mean, look at this, right? At the end of the story, I didn't read far enough, but the next step after this is Herod having all of the baby boys under two years old, uh, uh, two years old and under, murdered just trying to kill Jesus. I would say that these wise men, however many they was, had a whole bunch of people who was going with them and taking care of things and protecting them and the whole nine yards. And can you imagine the kinds of things that these guys would have been saying after a while out there in the desert? The star's gone. We can't even see the star anymore. These idiots that's leading us, they don't even know for sure where they're going. They're going to, take, they're going to get us out of here and get us killed. If they ain't just the difficulties of, be, of a large group in the desert would have to face than all the thieves and things like this. We've got, we've got enough money on this camel train here that would be worth, a, be worth a king of a kingdom to come and send his army and strike us down. Can you hear the griping and the grumbling along the way? What did the wise men do? They just kept their head down and kept plodding on. They just kept on keeping on doing what they know that God had told them to do, called them to do, right? There's a reason why God revealed to them uh, this star and the meaning of this star. So when the star doesn't shine, I'm telling you right now, Christian, when the star doesn't shine, keep on teaching your class. When the star doesn't shine, keep on telling people about Jesus. When the star is not shining in your life, I'm telling you right now, follow their example. Keep on praying. Keep on reading your Bibles, right? Keep on coming to church. When the star doesn't shine, just keep on doing what you know God wants you to be doing. And if you're looking for direction, just keep on doing the last thing that God told you to do until he tells you to do something different. I know that seems like simple advice, I can remember my kids so many times over the years growing up, I'd tell them to do something, something they didn't want, really want to be doing, you know, something that resembled real work. 
And they would be constantly, Dad, how long have we got to keep doing this? How long do you want me to keep doing this? Do you want me to keep doing this? Are we still supposed to be doing this? Is this enough yet? Tell them the same thing I'm telling you. I feel like God's telling us. Just keep on doing it until I tell you to do something different. That's what God's saying to us. That's the example that we've got here uh, with the wise men. And that brings me to my final point that I want to close out with. I would say it this way. Wait on God before you move on. And you might say, wait a minute, what do you mean by that, preacher? Here's what I mean by that. Don't assume just because you haven't heard from God in a while, don't assume just because you haven't seen the star shining for a while, that it's time to move on to something different. That is, unfortunately, our human nature, and I think Christians are the worst, or some of the worst ones at it. We hear from God, the star is shining, things are great, we're excited about what God wants us to do, we start out doing it, and next thing you know, the star is not shining anymore, we've not heard from God in a while, and we just automatically assume, well, we need to be doing something different, we need to move, we need to, we need to change churches, we need to quit teaching our classes, we need to, you know, whatever it is, we need to change something, we need to do something, right? Because we've got to see the star all the time. If we don't see the star, then we must be out of the will of God. That's the crazy panic that goes through the Christian mind. And it's wrong. It's wrong. Don't assume just because you haven't heard from God in a while, just because you haven't seen the star shining recently, that it's time to move on. As a matter of fact, I would say the very act of going on and continuing what God called you to do, even though you've not heard from him in a while, even though you haven't seen the star shine in a while, I think that would be a test of faith, honestly. But as Christians... We tend to do the opposite of what we should be doing. We tend to move when things aren't happening where we are right now. Right? Uh, That just seems to be our nature. The other thing we do is we tend to move to something new when we haven't heard from God in a while. It's like we're just constantly just bam, 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 jumping from one thing to the next, one thing to the next, and jumping around or quitting altogether because we don't think God is responding like he should. In other words, metaphorically, what I'm trying to say is because we're not seeing the star shine like we did when we first started. I don't know how many pastors I've heard talk that that's their philosophy in ministry. And it's unbiblical. And in my opinion, it's dead wrong I think that's why you see sometimes so many pastors that are constantly jumping from one church to the next I'm going to be honest with you I think that's why we see so many Christians jumping from one church to the next in reality what we need to be doing is we need to be keeping our hand on the plow and keeping on doing what God last instructed us to do until we hear something different from God. God said, be still and know that I am God. Listen for God and be still, meaning don't move on until you hear 
from God. I mean, Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the desert before God spoke to him again. Do you ever think about that? 40 years. He spent 40 years on the backside of the desert before God spoke to him again and told him to go get his people. So here's what I come to say to you this morning. Is when the star doesn't shine, be still, be patient, keep the faith, stay in the word, right? Stay in the scriptures. Know that God has not abandoned you. We're crazy that way. We just think that, it, that because we're, we're not constantly hearing from God and the star is not constantly shining so bright that it's blinding us, we think that God has abandoned us, even though he clearly tells us in his word that he'll not leave us and he'll not forsake us. Understand that you have not done something so awful that God is now giving you the silent treatment. That's crazy, or not crazy, that's irrational, unbiblical. You just need, and I just need, to stay the course that God has set for us until we see the star again and God points you in a new direction. That's what these wise men did. They saw it when they were in the east, they saw the star. They headed out on their journey. They didn't see the star anymore. They kept going. And once they got to Jerusalem, they talked to a few folks there. And then all of a sudden, right, they've headed west this whole time. And now they see the star again. God speaks to them again. And this time they turn and they head south until they get to Bethlehem, until they get to where Jesus is. That is my message to you this morning. That is, that is what God is trying to, I believe, trying to show us and tell us here this morning. I want to open the altar this morning. And I, I, want, to, I, I want to ask you to stand. And I want to give you an invitation this morning. The Spirit of God is dealing with you. By all means, I want you to come. Maybe, maybe you're going through some things in your life. Maybe you're dealing with some things, right? Uh, maybe you just need a touch from the Lord. Maybe, maybe you're standing here today and you're not right with God. And you know you ain't right with God. Maybe you ain't been right with God in a long time. Maybe you ain't ever been right with God. I'm begging you, would you come this morning? Spirit of God, draw you, right? If the Spirit of God is tapping on your heart, if you've got that pull, that urge, that's a star shining. That's God pulling you and drawing you. Maybe he's trying to change directions on you, or, you know, or point you in the way that you need to be going, or whatever the case may be. I'm just telling you here this morning, if you've got a need, if you've got a burden, if you just desire to seek the face of God, if the Spirit of God is dealing with you, whatever it might be, you just come on this morning. You just come on.